Welcome to the Next Level Show, a health and fitness podcast with a little bit of life. Hosted by Jonathan Alvarez, Gabriel Contreras, and Mike Nillis. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Next Level Show. And welcome, if this is your first time checking us out, listening to us, we're happy to have you. As always, if you guys like this episode at any given point, you're always we always encourage screenshots, shares, tag us, let us know. We can always reshare it. Thank you guys for the support. And as well, for someone that wants to know what all this episode is going to be about in detail, Mike does a fantastic job at the show notes, timestamps exactly what we talk about and when. So with that eh. being said. I eh, mean, it's, it's like, take. it's some of the stuff that we talk. Sometimes, sometimes I miss things. Cause if there's just like a little five, like a single sentence passes by and I'm like, that's not worthy. Then I just, I just leave it, you know? Yeah. So even, even to that effect, like the core of really want the full experience, you got to listen all the way through. Cause if you just go off the show notes, you're going to miss some stuff. Absolutely. Uh, that's what we always encourage is to do the whole thing. Don't skip ahead. But I know people, depending on your situation, trying to get to just the fitness stuff. And this is why you're on this podcast and you don't give two shits about anything else. Then obviously you can do as you please. But yes. you know what? if you follow us along, I mean, I think everyone is out there to kind of hear real people, not giving them a lecture, talk about just life. It's yeah. It was a um, shameless plug. I gave our, our podcast, uh, one of our one of my friends that was saying that they listened to this, the, the radio. Uh, it was it was called uh, What's What the Florida is the radio show in the morning. I think on 105.5 on the radio station here. But I said, like, I don't know. I just don't like listening to music. I like listening to talking. And I'm like, do you you can you can listen to our show i mean that's what i said <laughs> a little shameless plug but no but if you're driving listening to this to kill some time get to your you know your commutes we are here for you so what did you have to tell me mike you did you said you wanted to wait till we went live. um have, have you been to i don't know how often do you, do you go to starbucks often it's been a minute been a minute actually um mm -hmm. they're they're new i don't know if they do like seasonal specials or whatever it is it's mm -hmm. their new featured item uh or one of them at least it's a a brown sugar and oat milk shaken espresso have mm -hmm. you heard of this I, haven't had, I have not liquid fucking crack cocaine the most delicious <laughs> beverage that starbucks has ever produced and bro i'm telling you i've had it once Every time I go to Starbucks, I'm trying to find it. They're out. They don't have okay. because everybody else is addicted to this bullshit. So I've tried with Jen multiple times now to go and get this stuff because she's only heard about it. It's a myth to her. She's 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 yet to taste it. it hasn't become real life for her yet. Yeah. And so this last night we tried again. Well, not last night, but yesterday. Um, and this morning she was like, I was talking about it again. I'm going to go get some. And then I went and they didn't have it anymore, of course. And so she went on the interwebs and looked up like a recipe or a comparable recipe and actually figured out a way to make it herself. Mm -hmm. um, and so we now have what we need to make that shit at home, which is like about as dangerous as it sounds. I mean, it's not, it's not with espresso because we don't have an espresso machine, but we'll make it with cold brew. Um, and it's basically just like a brown sugar syrup. 
oat milk, cinnamon, vanilla extract. Like there's some other like little tiny little pieces, parts to it, but mm-hmm. it's so good. If you can find it and get it, then try it. But, um, or you can just make it yourself, I guess. I, I, I would imagine it's probably healthier, the one that she has in the fridge now, but bro, it's so good. It's so tasty. So I think, so the whole, oh, you said oat milk, right? Yeah. So the oat milk I know is becoming a thing even at Dunkin'. Um, yeah. I go to Dunkin' more lately just because it's a little bit cheaper and it's it's a little bit better walking distance than the Starbucks, even though it's only like maybe like a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I, I work literally in between them both. But Oh, that's right. Yeah. So you know where I work and it's, it's literally right there. So I usually go to Dunkin'. Um, that's just kind of what I've been doing as of lately. I've kind of stopped going to Starbucks because they pissed me off the other day. I forget when it was when I, I hate it, dude, when I go and they mess up my cold brew or the cold brew tastes like it's old. Um, Oh yeah. So when that happens, it kind of kicks me off of Starbucks for a little bit. Um, I haven't been back. It's been a while, man. I haven't had Starbucks in a while, but I had, um, what was it? This last seasonal thing that I had was like the nitro cold brew, um, with, it was the holiday Christmas one and they had the little cold foam at the top yeah. with these little, the powdered chocolate. That was pretty good. I enjoyed yeah. that. Um, but I haven't been back for the oat one, but I know that oat milk is becoming like a big thing everywhere. And I bought the oat milk itself. Mm-hmm. Really good. It's delicious. It is. Um, has a really, has really good flavor, but uh, it's crazy how they're in that, that, in that, that company just blew up like the fact that like these places are buying it and stocking it up um who knows it'll probably be it'll probably be back what was the season do you know like why they Uh, i don't know i don't don't know the reason behind it uh maybe it's just like a spring thing or maybe they're just like however they come up with recipes oat milk is a thing and they're like let's make this because it's a thing i don't know but we we started getting oat milk too because it is it's pretty good and it's got I mean, for being a liquid, it's got decent macros. Um, yeah. I was actually curious because it is, you know, it comes from oats and oats are primarily just like a carbohydrate, but I'm wondering if it's like the, the same thing that you do when you get like sugar from fruit in its natural form or sugar from fruit that has been blended and broken down away from its fiber. I wonder if the same thing is happening there where the carbohydrates are like reconstituted, I guess would be the right word mm-hmm. because they're being pressed or however the fuck you milk an oat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you milk an oat. They don't got, they don't got nipples. Yeah. They don't got teats. Um, <laughs> teats. So <laughs> we got to Google this. We got to figure this out. So maybe we'll have a, uh, or should I, we can, you know what? Let's, let's save. We'll stick a pin in it, build some suspense. You're gonna have to check out the next episode. We'll just, we'll, we'll do it later. Okay, I'm right. gonna make a note because yeah, we need to we we gotta figure this out. I'm gonna be like Tomas with his sticky notes. Um, there was another thing that I got so excited and worked up about the the brown sugar oat milk that I seem to have forgotten. Okay, I figured it out. Oh, you, you know, already okay. It was quick. I just looked up oat <laughs> milk process. Okay. 
and enter oat milk it's a the it's core production process similar to that of almond milk gluten-free oats are soaked in water uh pulverate pulverized in a blender and then strained to produce a subtle taste tasting plant milk um that can be used to anything from coffee cereal and baking so basically they're just you know I, I figured it was like a, obviously a soaking process and then the blending process. So but they they soak it in water, they blend it, and then they pulverize it or blend it. They pulverize it or blend it, and then they strain it. Yeah, and then they do – so basically enzyming, they, they do the process of enzyming, and in the enzyming tanks, they add natural enzymes that break the oat starch down into similar – to smaller components – that way they're able to turn it into this liquid form because, because I know that with, for us in the Hispanic culture, it's very common to eat, you know, like oatmeal, like mm-hmm. we would here, but it's different. It's very soupy and they may blend it up, but you'll still get pieces of it. Um, so I'm assuming they just have a different chemical or something to break it. So it's actually liquid. It's not just, you don't have chunks in your oatmeal, like oat milk. Uh, oat um, milk with pulp. Yeah. It's like pulp free. Um, <laughs> so there you go. You heard it here on the next level show. If you didn't know that, there you go. Um, yeah, dude. I last first time I tried it was at a friend's house. They got me onto it, but I haven't bought it since. Um, I like it, but I don't know, man. Like my body handles dairy pretty well from what I know. And if I buy like, whole milk i do just fine i grew up on it and dude i just do i do good man i don't i don't Same. i don't ever i've never had any issues luckily which i can enjoy cheese i can enjoy the stuff and some people are like gross but dude a glass of whole milk good macro profile you add like eight grams of protein pretty easy to your um to your protein shake i feel like the protein tastes the best with milk my opinion i've tried it with almond i've tried it with oat and it's not bad it's just dude i've tried them with all and then i go back to milk and it's just it's just so much better old faithful old faithful it's just like that meme just a little box open it up old faithful yeah um (laughs) but yeah dude i've been i've been actually incorporating more fasting actually um speaking of like just protein and just the way i've been doing things and just nutrition literally this had no segue but i'm making it one so we're transitioning over to my fasting experience um and the thing ironically enough dude i don't plan these like fasts you know how we talked about in the other episode of flexible diet and like people like label like i'm fasting bro and like you they don't do anything like i had some coffee but actual food and I had a little bit of creamer. So technically I'm not fasting, bro. But like to me, it's only been liquid um, and I don't have any food. And what I've been doing is, is when I start dieting, dude, I like to, to to compact my meals into bigger ones, like just add them. And I just like eating that way. I feel better when I eat that way. It takes a lot of stress from me having to worry um, about, you know, do I have enough calories left for the day? I feel like it gives me so much room to make adjustments as I go. Cause if I want to go out, I know I have more than enough calories to play with usually. Um, and I like the mentality of when I sit down to eat, I can just concentrate on eating and enjoy the food. That's why I've been eating. I eat this way. I've always gravitated. I've also done it where I eat 
as soon as I can, I'll eat breakfast. I'll have some type of breakfast, which is fine. My body does fine either way, but I don't know, man, the stress of like, I know I get people when they say like, I have a busy job and I can't eat, even though I still would try to plan some time to like get something to like to eat or something to break up my day. But I get it. So if this is you, I mean, it, it does still require planning. It's not just like you just eat whatever you want because you're going to be uh, lacking nutrients and calories and, and your metabolism is going to start to register as your body is low calorie all the time. But I still eat a good amount of food, a, a pretty massive amount of food. It's just that I rather uh, not worry about breaking my meals up so much. And I just feel like I just do a lot better. My strength, energy, focus. I'm not washing dishes six times a day. Um, it's just great. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Uh, I did quite a lot of that. Um, back in the day, I haven't, um, I try not to anymore. Um, just because it's not so with, with the baby, uh, getting a meal on time is not necessarily guaranteed. So I try to eat breakfast when I can. Hopefully I do. Same thing with lunch. Lunch is usually guaranteed. But I just feel uh, different at this point in my life where I, I need the energy a little bit more spread out. Probably has to do with lack of sleep, I would imagine. Absolutely. But I definitely, I so. like if I don't have breakfast in the morning because Oliver's being a handful, like this morning, I woke up to Oliver screaming and Chester doing the about to throw up on the carpet noise. It was literally both of those noises together, which was really confusing. Um, and so I had like both of those things to deal with and I didn't have time. So I had to stop by Starbucks and I got one of their like protein box things, mm. um, which isn't a bad option, but not my first choice, especially when it doesn't come with the brown sugar oat milk drink. Um, but yeah, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a lot more active working out way more regularly and being a lot more, uh, strict, I was in the same exact boat as you where, especially more towards the end when I was in my calorie deficit, it was a lot easier for me to skip breakfast or I'm fasting bro, as you put it, and then have two big meals for lunch and dinner. It just felt better that way. Um, and, you know, skipping breakfast is like, you just wait, you know, four to six hours. It's, it's really not that bad. You get a bulk of the fast done while you're sleeping. So it makes it kind of easy. Yeah. It's just, and like I said, I got West, why we always discussed on the flexible dieting episode that we just did, which I had a lot of fun doing that one, because I think it kind of broke down the, the realistic way of how we go about things, how things can change, how you can don't worry about a particular protocol all the time. Structure is definitely very beneficial and very helpful, of course, but you need to be realistic on what's going on and make it work and make your eating work for you, make your training work for your schedule. And that way it starts to, it, it kind of aids it versus where you feel like you're torn all the time in between both, or you start stressing it like, Oh man, like I didn't get my meal, man. Like I have a, a buddy that I love him to death. He's funny. Cause we always know that he's not going to be somewhere or he's going to be late because he's either training or he's um, 
he's eating his like fourth or fifth meal of the day or whatever, right? Or he'll combine two meals or he'll eat a meal before we go eat somewhere just so he doesn't fall behind. Uh, that and, used to be me. Yeah. So he's he's a character, man. He's super young too. So he has all the time in the world to train and, he, and he's living that, that 19, 1970 bodybuilder lifestyle. Bro, those and, are the days. <laughs> so it's definitely there's a time and place where people can do it it's just i think where you get caught up is you have to do it a particular way for it to be successful obviously things that you that probably are non-negotiables if you're trying to get to a certain place physique wise planning and structure with your day is gonna be critical here because if you're just winging it you're probably not going to get to where you want to be in the time you want to get there now for everyday lifestyle stuff you can be very flexible here and and maybe not plan everything to the t but either way for just your mental clarity and just like just peace of mind having in somewhat of an idea what's going on each day helps just with like daily living um but yeah that's what i kind of i thought about that that's actually that's something that i'm trying to work on with uh with more of my more of my clients is just taking like a almost like an everyday attitude, not to say that they have to come into the gym and train and, you know, do barbell squats and deadlifts and bench press every single day. But, um, cause I've, I found maybe this is an error in my teaching, or maybe this is just misconception or whatever the, whatever the disconnect is, um, just trying to drive home the point that, you know, just coming into the gym for that two days or three days, isn't going to be enough for most people. You need to do more. There needs to be actions taken on the other days, even if it's just going for a walk or just paying attention to what you eat, you know, do something every day that leads you towards that goal that you have set. Cause just doing it, you know, this day, this day, and then the rest of the week, you're just going to fuck off. That's not really going to work for most of us. So, um, And, you know, it doesn't have to be, like I said, it doesn't have to be anything super fancy. It doesn't have to be a lot. You just have to be doing something towards your goals on the other days. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's when you've been consistent enough, these are the things that you're going to be able to finally know and learn about yourself. You have to go through the process, though. I think it's safe to say that I... I'm hard to believe that you got to you sh- you can go through your phase of being quote unquote obsessive of your goals and go at them in a very like tunnel vision type mentality maybe experience the burnout you know put yourself in that position that way you can find balance and find kind of where you want where you're happy at and you know get the happy medium if you never went and gone all in you'll never really truly understand what is balance for you. I feel in my personal experiences with my with my fitness journey with uh, clients that have gone through it as well, such as yourself, like you were all all dialed in at one point. Now you realize like, it doesn't mean that it's, you know, that you can't do it. Is that your priorities change? You already experienced what it is to be all in. Now you can choose kind of the happy medium for now. And then, when the time is right, you make those adjustments as you go. Yeah. Well, this is also why we preach, uh, you know, moderation when setting 
expectations for yourself because uh, we've seen our clients, you know, come in gung ho. They want to train five, six days a week and two weeks go by and you're like, so how many of those five or six days did you get last week? And they're like, oh, I can only make it twice. And then that keeps happening. And maybe it was two or three times. And then they start getting discouraged and feeling like they're fucking up. And it's like, you may want to do this, but this isn't your, your lifestyle. Like you have other things going on. that are going to keep you from doing this. There's nothing wrong with that. You just need to be reasonable and manage your expectations on stuff like this. So like, yeah, if somebody, you know, 19 years old, I've got a 19 year old, he could train five or six days a week, but we're like, we're saving that for later. Cause there's plenty of work that can be done with three or four days a week. So that's what we're doing. But when it comes time for that five or six day split, he's going to be able to manage it because he's fucking 19. He lives with his sister. He, I think his biggest bill right now is probably insurance for his car. That's about all mm-hmm. he's got to worry about. So, you know, compare that to the, the mom that's working a full-time job in a stressful position and working on a master's degree is five or six days really going to even be effective for her, let alone uh, something she can adhere to. Exactly. Fuck you got it. No. This... <laughs> exactly, man. It's, it's the only way you like learn these things. So it's cool. I mean, I feel that this is the part of the coaching that we've done it long enough. We've seen people through different phases in their life. We can kind of foresee it. When I have a client that wants to come out gone home, I acknowledge it. I, I uh, recognize where they're coming from. I also kind of don't discourage them, but I also start kind of giving them some stuff to think about so that when the time comes and we know what's going to kind of happen. The inconsistency starts to happen. They knew that it was a possibility and we can just adjust. And that way they're not like, feel like, Oh, I failed. Okay, cool. Like, no, now I know what you're talking about, but I feel great with three days a week. I feel great with four. I feel great with two, whatever's like, whatever they're consistent with. And they're still seeing, you know, fantastic results. Um, it, it allows the person to stay with it long-term. Um, did you want to get into some coaching tips for certain exercises? Yeah. I think it's like our Friday fitness tip type episode, right? This can be like a little segment uh, yeah. of the, of the show kind of, cause like, obviously if you've been listening, we're coaches, this is what we do uh, for a living. We, this on a day-to-day basis, we see many, many different people throughout the last couple of years. And you as a coach, you pick up on, ways to explain yourself in different ways to, well, you're trying to explain the same thing, but in different ways, trying to get your point across to each person where it makes sense. And the way we communicate to maybe a client to one client is going to be different than the other client, just because that's what they'll grasp and understand. And I think that the biggest thing is that we also try not to sound or care to sound super smart. Like we're, we're literally just trying to we're literally trying to um, make it so that this is doable at any level of experience in the gym. So we're not going to be using big words on this for our cues. It's very rare if we ever do mention specific scientific terms for exercises or movements. Um, It's like um, when you're, Mike gave an example off air, and this is kind of why we wanted to talk about this was the whole, the whole hip hinge thing is one of the, harder things to coach a client um, sometimes at the beginning and each client at their own pace gets this 
this movement, which is a fundamental movement. Everyone needs to learn how to hip hinge. It's a, it's, it's staple in many varieties of different exercises. It also is going to help you pick up shit without pulling your back like all the time. Or if you're someone that suffers from back pain, this is probably because you don't hinge. You, all you do is, you know, bending at the spine, you know, lumbar flexion. So you're constantly in that rounded position and all the stress is going towards your back. So you want to be able to use your legs, your glutes, and that's the hip hinge. That's the core movement. And instead of saying us as a trainer to a client that's never done this before and be like, you need to, um, you know, we got to work on your posterior chain. We got to, we got to, uh, hinge back and put and get into posterior chain position. Um, the client's going to look at you like, are you, what, like, what, are you, what language are you talking <laughs> to me in? Right. So, yeah. um, you, so with that, you know, maybe a, a, one of my subtle tips is, you know, I want, you know, we're going to, we're going to push back our hips and we're going to imagine like, we're going to try to touch the wall behind you something like that. That might be one of the cues that I give. Um, another one is instead of like, when I notice that they may round, like they may try to touch their toes, almost like they're rounding their back. I'll be, um, I want you to keep your back nice and straight, keep your chest up high, show me your nipples. Um, you know, and then they're, oop, they pop up their chest. You know, it's just a very subtle, like, uh, funny, like cue. And it makes the person laugh. And so it gets them to stick. You want a cue that sticks to this person's mind. So even when you're not around, they remember, and then lastly, I'll, another one I always tell them is I want you to kind of fold um, fold at the hip like a piece of paper. Like someone's going to fold a piece of paper. It just folds in half versus you don't crumple a piece of paper to fold it. You kind of fold it in a nice, perfect, um, what is it, 90 degree angle at first and close it. Yeah. Um, whatever, geometry. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I use certain cues like that. And for the most part, it works. It actually gets someone to get what I'm trying to say. I think there's other ones that might come to mind, but Mike, what are some uh, cues that you recommend for the hip hinge? Um, yeah, full full disclosure. I still can't bring myself to use the show me your nipples cue for a woman. Uh, <laughs> I use it on all of my guys, but I just can't can't seem to bring myself to do it <laughs> for uh, for um, a woman. I know it's effective and it would stick, but I just can't do it. But regardless, um, I, I learned early on to respectfully explain things as, as though you're, you're speaking to a five-year-old because uh, then that just makes it as simple as possible. Anybody can understand it. So um, I do really like the, uh, you know, poke your butt out, try to touch the wall behind you uh, tactic. That one works pretty well. Um, I also like the concept of instead of like um, trying to touch the wall behind you with your butt, uh, I like trying to shut the car door with your butt. Um, that I've gotten some pretty good results out of that one too. But the one that works the best, honestly, I got this one from one of my uh, fellow trainers at my gym. Excuse me. Um, is actually involving a resistance band. Um, so this is kind of a cue that I can give as well after I've gone through this, but basically you, uh, you wrap the resistance band around like the squat cage or, you know, something sturdy and then step into uh, part of the band so that you can bring it up around your waist. Um, so you can imagine you have the band around your waist. The band is anchored to the squat rack 
and you are facing away from the squat rack. So with the band around your waist, you take a few decent steps away and then slide your hips back like you're trying to touch your butt to the wall or like you're trying to shut the car door. And that band is going to help assist in pulling your hips back. Keep your weight on your heels and keep your spine straight. And that'll get you in the hip hinge move. Uh, movement that we're that we're looking for so then once i kind of implant that into the person's mind once we go and maybe we'll do it on a bench or up against the wall or with a broomstick or something like that for practice i'll say okay now let the let the rubber band pull your hips back um, and that one usually works as well um thanks carissa <laughs> <laughs> i'm but, trying to think um I also do enjoy the uh, broomstick. I believe this method is actually used best for keeping your, your back straight on a squat. I don't know exactly what the intended use is for this one, but the one where you um, hold the broomstick on the backside of your body, you work on three contact points, um, back of your skull and between your shoulder blades and then your tailbone. Um, is that for squats? I think technically it's supposed to be for squats. Either way... <laughs> Um, you can, you can totally do it for both. You can use it for whatever. So that's, that's what I use it for. If, if somebody has a really hard time keeping their back straight, uh, during a hip hinge, then we'll bust out the stick. Um, so basically you hold the stick above your head on one hand, keep it in contact with your skull and in between your shoulder blades. And then in the small of your back, you kind of reach back, grab the stick and then pull it up to your tailbone. Um, almost like you're squeezing the stick with your butt cheeks as uncomfortable as that sounds. Um, and then do the same exact maneuver, you know, reach your butt back, try to touch the wall, shut the car door, let the rubber band pull your hips, whatever cue works for you. Mm -hmm. But while maintaining all three of those contact points, it becomes a lot more challenging. If it comes to this point, this, this makes it a lot more challenging because now you have so much more to focus on, but it's giving you tangible feedback for what your spine is doing because the stick is straight. And if your spine is not in the correct position, you're going to lose contact on your shoulder blades, on your head, on your tailbone, whichever one of those three comes off. And then mm -hmm. that'll kind of give you an idea of what to do to correct it. Absolutely. That's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty legit like tool is a PVC pipe, a broomstick, something yeah. that can cue you into these positions. Like you said, squatting, deadlifting you can kind of teach someone where how far maybe how far off they are um as far as um i guess we like, we can transition to maybe like a squat mm -hmm. um kind of it goes well because these two movements are very fundamental there's going to be some similarities in this cue as well but a squat uh, any squat variation is you want to think like knee flexion. That's where the knees will flex, they'll bend. You'll get down into the position, whether that's a lunge, a Bulgarian split squat, a normal standard squat, a goblet squat. Um, little things will change subtly on each one, possibly just depends on what you're trying to get, but the basics are pretty good to start off with anyone. It's understanding when you're squatting, the first thing you want to think about, let's just take a um, goblet squat, for example. This is, I think, anyone can do. A barbell squat can get a little complex. But at the core, a goblet squat is very fundamental. It's a very great way to, to, to add volume, to maybe learn how to squat initially, um, substitute a different variation of a squat than if you're just only doing back squats. So the, the fundamental movement of a squat, you want to initiate 
the, the lowering process, I used to do hip and it used to turn into a very um, hamstring and glute dominant squat where I was doing kind of a low bar squat. But when it comes to a standard squat, when I started really getting low, like squatting ass to grass, as like as the saying goes, I used to, I started initiating the movement with my knees. My knees bending was the first cue that would transition me into a squat. Now, when you're thinking this, you don't want to just squat and then your, your heels come up and you're on the balls of your feet. You want to first think, you know, my, my feet are flat on the ground. Weight is evenly distributed. Cause I know the other extreme is all the weight on the heels and people almost like falling backwards. You've seen like clients that maybe go to the, to the other side. Cause they think squats are bad for my knees. I got to put all my weight in my heels. Um, so I like to keep a nice level weight on my feet. And then I initiate the movement with my, with the knees bending. I start to break at the knee coming down as I'm doing that simultaneously, you're, you're doing a little bit of a hip hinge, a little bit of that pushing on the back of the hips. This is going to at doing this kind of simultaneously, almost like when you're driving a car, that's a manual, you want to as you start to begin to take your foot off the clutch just a little bit, you want to give it just the right amount of gas to get the car to go forward. Um, if you don't know how to drive a manual, there you go. There's a tip. Now you can drive anything, but, um, when it comes to the squat, it's kind of the same thing. You want to flow very natural together. You want, as you're breaking at the knee, you're also pushing back a little bit on the hip. And this is going to keep your weight distributed nicely, because if you just do only knee, or if you do only hip, it's going to shift the weight on your feet in one extreme and you're not going to feel comfortable. You're going to almost get stuck at that very like narrow squat where you barely come down. You're barely, you're barely hitting parallel at this point because you're maybe favor, like favoring one or the other. So that's kind of something that I always tell with the squat. I also say, keep your chest nice and tall. Um, you want to think chest tall, um, not to the point where you get that Kim Kardashian, butt, where you're kind of sticking your butt back with an arch. Um, so think Kim Kardashian, you know, big butt stick back hips. You have that little low back tilt. Um, you want to keep your chest nice and tall. Don't worry about exaggerating that hip back, but chest nice and tall break at the knee. And as you're doing that, you also want to think, push my hips back just a bit and watch how you kind of descend into the squat. The last thing I would always encourage. And I always say, even for online clients that I may not see, cause I know this happens, you also want to be thinking, pushing your knees outwards to the sides. You don't want to be coming down and where your knees are caving in. That's super common with people. So I also suggest pushing those knees out. Mike. Yeah. I'll kind of, you explain that pretty much exactly how I would, I would, uh, I'll kind of piggyback on that and just kind of give a few extra tips on there. So same thing that I brought up before with that broomstick or the PVC going along the back with the contact points, head, shoulder blades, and tailbone. Same concept can apply here. Um, if you're applying all those cues that Jonathan just went through and you're doing that with the PVC pipe, um, that's going to help you kind of figure out the right way to do this. Cause ultimately everybody's legs are different lengths. You have different length femur than I do that Jonathan does. Your torso is a different length. Um, so all, all of these things kind of change things, but without overcomplicating it too much, your brain can kind of fill in the gaps on most of this. If you just give it a few simple things um, to focus on. So adding into that, keeping your back straight, try the little stick maneuver out and don't 
overthink it. Try to go through it as naturally as possible. Just keeping those three contact points, knees, hips back just a little bit. Um, and that should get you pretty much where you need to be. But when it comes to barbell movements, my favorite and most useful tip for a barbell squat, um, when it comes to somebody favoring their toes, cause that's from what I've seen, what most people do. And I think subconsciously it's, if I'm going to fall with weight on my back of my hands up here, I'm going to fall forward so that I can see it and I can try to catch myself. So we all kind of naturally lean forward, uh, towards our toes. We obviously don't want to go back on our heels because then that's going to make us want to fall backwards, which we do not like doing either, but to find that sweet spot with a barbell on your back, I'm not sure if this would work for goblets. Maybe it would, um, just stand there with the weight on your back and put all of your weight on your toes and then shift all of your weight onto your heels and then try to find the sweet spot between those two where you're feeling weight on your heels and on your toes. And then throughout the whole movement, practice this with lightweight throughout the whole movement, just try to keep your weight distributed evenly between your toes and your heels. Just focusing on that, your brain is going to fill in the gaps on how to make that happen. It's going to position your body in such a way that it happens naturally. Hopefully that doesn't mean that you're rounding your back or doing anything weird like that, but from what I've seen, that's usually enough. Um, and then if the spreading the floor tip doesn't work, you can also imagine screwing your feet into the ground. Um, and we're going externally. So if you imagine like standing with your toes slightly pointed out, maybe like a 10 or 15 degree angle, uh, screwing your feet into the ground, your toes would be rotating away from each other. Um, from your right foot going to the right and your left foot going to the left. Um, and that usually achieves the same result as spreading them forward. We're just trying to get your knees to track over your feet um, with that one. So that's about all I want to just go. Yeah, ahead. no, that's perfect. I actually just want to add the only thing there. You said something just, um, we just, we'll just manipulate speed of these movements. Like, Take yeah. it slow. Um, all these cues can be beneficial. Apply the ones that you feel that maybe you're at and use, manipulate your speed when you're doing this. Go light. Um, and if you want to still make this feel like you know, I'm getting a workout because you're like, oh, I don't want to go back lighter on weight because I don't want to feel like I'm missing out on my workout. I don't want it to be a waste of time. Man, I, you know, I hate when someone says that, by the way, like this is a side tangent, but I hear a lot is just like, if you can't do one thing, it's like, ah, there's no point. I, that's with anything that, that irks me. That just made me think of it. It's like, you know, you're going to the gym and I can't train heavy. I can't push myself. I'm still going to work out. I'm still going to move. I'm still going to get do something. It's better than like me feeling like, fuck, I haven't done anything in a week. But um, yeah, back on, back on uh, track, you want, you want to manipulate your speed on the workouts. This is with anything. This is, doesn't have to be just with legs. Um, this can be with your upper body movements. If you're learning, to feel or to position yourself in a particular way that maybe that's not natural to you. Slowing it down is going to make you a lot more present and conscious of what you're doing. Because if you, you're just kind of just using gravity and gravity is taking control, it's dropping you into the hole and you're reacting and bouncing back out. Probably a lot of breakdowns going to happen in that movement. If you're going slower, you can actually see it. This is also with a coach. If you're coaching someone, someone can actually, a, a good coach will tell you, you know, slow it down. He'll be able to see, and you know, in more again depth, what's where the break it down maybe starts to happen, what part at the middle, bottom, 
you know, coming up, whatever, you'll be able to kind of address this and, and fix it. Um, I think we can go over the, another one that I feel like is a lot of coaching cues is training back. Um, oh yeah. Back, back is a challenging one, but one that comes to mind, man, I feel like it can translate to everything is if you can master a dumbbell row, you can master like the cables pretty easily. You can start to do other type of machines because you're understanding the movement, right? Um, when it comes to training your back, there's different points of your back. Your back's also like one of the other biggest body parts, you know, as far as like muscle groups and just surface area. Um, main things you want to, it's all considered pulling movements. So it's any type of uh, horizontal row, something that you're pulling kind of from your arm in front of you, pulling it back. Um, then you have the vertical pull, which is just from pulling something from uh, that's above you down towards you. And based on how you position your body, it can change the exercises, but to keep it super basic with a, with a dumbbell row, you can do it single arm stand. Like typically that's like how most people will program it, which is a great exercise. It can allow you to work on both sides, but a, a, a nice, uh, a nice dumbbell row. Um, it's so common. I see someone clench the dumbbell super hard. They go also heavier than they probably need to at first. And then when they bring it up, it's almost like they're bringing the dumbbell to their chest. So they almost like flex their bicep. And then if you have someone that's been training back and struggle with this, maybe you don't like it because you feel like you're not getting much out of it. And you always think, I feel my biceps a lot when I train back, they are going to play a role, but they shouldn't be the only things working, right? So um, when you're doing a dumbbell row, the biggest tip that I feel helps, well, two of the main tips that help a lot of people is line up your grip. This is the only time that I would actually encourage someone to not fully wrap their thumb around the handle. This is where you'd kind of do like a, like a suicide grip, I guess this is like what it's considered, but just unwrap it and let it to just let it come, almost like your fingers, your four fingers be a hook on the dumbbell or the handle of any attachment that you're using. When you're doing this, that's one thing because it takes a lot of stress off squeezing and tensing your forearms because that's another thing. People start getting really tired in their forearms. Line up that load. And when instead of pulling towards your chest, I always say pull towards your pocket. Bring the dumbbell towards your pocket. And what happens usually, it creates a nice 90-degree position for the dumbbell. I mean, your elbow will look you know, at that perfect 90 degree, it won't look like all clenched up and bunched up in the front. And that keeping obviously posture upright, lighten up the grip, hook grip, and then you just do a nice pick your pocket with the dumbbell. That usually changes so much how a client will feel the exercise as well as, um, you know, the benefits that they're getting out of it. Yeah, I like that one. That one's that one's helped a lot for me because um, I was the guy that was pulling the dumbbell to his chest. Um, another good one for that, just to keep in mind, something that I also do, I'm speaking from experience, is maintaining good posture while you do that. You can't fully flex your lats if you're hunched over like uh, the hunchback of Notre Dame. So keep your spine neutral while you're doing that. Again, speaking from experience, but um, when it comes to like a lat pull down or a pull up type movement, it's um, important that you're keeping your shoulders under control. Um, I usually give the cue and I'm there. I'll give exceptions to this at the end of this part, but 
uh, keeping your shoulders down away from your ears and doing your best to keep your shoulders back. So you're not in this forward, uh, upper cross syndrome position. So I'm just imagine being nice and proud. You're having a really good day. You just got a promotion. So your shoulders are down and back. You're standing up nice and tall or sitting nice and tall. And, um, when you're pulling, um, you're pulling your elbows almost like you're trying to touch them behind your back. And if you're doing a lat pull down in this case, you want the bar and I have the benefit of a beard here. You want the bar to end somewhere around your beard. You don't want it to be down by your nipples, even though mine's almost there kind of like right below your chin or uh, collarbones is another good landmark to kind of pull towards. Um, now that is for the average person. I just want them to control their shoulder blades, <laughs> control their shoulders. Technically, um, you can get more out of this movement. If you do let your shoulders come up a little bit, you're getting a little bit more of a stretch out of your lats. And then as long as you're able to get them back down while you're doing this motion, you're getting more of a contraction out of it. The same would go for a row. Like if you're doing a, a seated cable row, if you're keeping your shoulders down and back, that is good. But then I believe it's called a two point row. Is that correct? Yeah. You're letting your shoulders like round forward, like thoracic extension almost, and then yep. pulling everything back. So I would call that like level two almost. Like as soon as you exhibit that you can control your shoulders, then we're going to start throwing in that extra step and you'll just get a little bit extra out of it. Um, but you got you to earn that one with me at least. I don't know. Maybe I should be doing that a different way, but that's what's worked for me. So. Yeah, no, I think if it's if you've had success with clients and getting the point across, I think that's what matters. Yeah, there's going to be people that can argue uh, biomechanics. Like, oh, technically, like you got to be doing this, this and that. Um, but sure. OK, but we're talking about the beginner, the one that's already maybe excessively like rounded all the time to get them out of. It's like the problem. Um, what I've been doing though lately that's been kind of helping me with the, let's say for the lat pull down is the letting the shoulders actually stretch. I allow it to happen. And I, because it, because I think that sometimes they, they would get too tense and they try to like pin everything down and they're kind of like just in that really tight position, um, pinning your shoulders down. But I always say, let it stretch, let the shoulders come up a bit. And then as you're pulling down, I've noticed that naturally, uh, lately anyways, the clients start to bring their shoulder blades, their shoulders down as just because of the movement, how it's moving. <laughs> that was redundant. Um, <laughs> but once they get to that position, you know, where they're trying to maybe touch their upper chest, their collarbone area, the last cue that I recommend if you're someone that struggles with a lat pull down of any kind is imagine like you're trying to meet your chest to that bar, like you're going to bring it up. And um, lo and behold, their shoulder blades drop. They get that last bit of range of motion and that squeeze um, by your focus being something else. So you're thinking, I'm going to touch my chest to the bar versus I'm bringing my hands, like I'm bringing this bar to my chest it changes like, I don't know, just natural biomechanics for that person. It just kind of happens more natural. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It's like, you're trying to chest bump the, the bar and it yeah. is, it is, it's the same thing. You're trying to touch your chest to the bar as opposed to touching the bar to your chest. Mm -hmm. It's the same so, thing, but it, it flips it. I, I get it. That's actually a really good idea. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Try that. And I think we've done it together, Mike, where I've actually told you touch the, touch the bar with your chest and then yeah. you pop up a little bit. 
very subtle. It's a very subtle cue. Um, <laughs> speaking of just random cues, it, how, do you do you do you some of your clients make up names for the exercises? Yes. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, I have one of my clients that he's, he's a great time, man. He's always, you know, usually in a good mood and we're always having a good time, just overall good conversation while we're training. And, uh, he's really making a push to develop his chest. And I know chest for some people can be very challenging, especially if you've never trained before, kind of like your back, you know, there's a lot of cues that can help you and we can go on and on and on and on about cues for the back, but those are the main ones. But as far as the chest, um, great exercises, obviously pressing movements in different positions are awesome, but this, this particular exercise is a fly variation. So it's usually done with cables. I think are one of the best options for fly movements when it comes to the chest and isolation movement. And we're doing a, trying to really, you know, get the upper chest to work. So we do to do that, you would set your, your cables in a low position. So you're, you're bringing from low to high, but not just straight up in the air. You're actually bringing the hand kind of diagonally across the body. Like one hand is actually trying to go to the opposite shoulder with the cable in hand with a slight bend in the elbow. The funny thing is that the way I got him to like think about this and actually like feel and focus on his chest because he was just kind of moving all over the place. He's still new and his 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 uh, stability is all over the place. But I tell him like I want you to bend your elbows, stand nice and tall for me, and I want you to receive the chest. Like <laughs> you're basically asking for the chest and you're bringing both arms up almost like you're you're putting your hands out to get like something right so we call it we call he i don't i don't say like uh i don't say low to high cable fly i literally tell him like all right we're gonna go receive the chest right now and he's mm -hmm. like receive the chest all right he's like rct i uh, know rtc yeah receive the chest yeah all right he'll he'll like give a little acronyms and that's a cue man it's like he's like okay receive the chest and he's like goes up there and squeezes um, and then when we do a standard fly, which is like a normal height, shoulder height of the cable, and you just bring it across and you almost like uh, bringing both hands together to get kind of the bigger part of the chest, he'll, uh, it's um, instead of receiving the chest, it's um, embracing the chest or like, or squeeze, like um, hugging or hug a barrel. I say hug a barrel. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And we'll make fun of just funny, just fun names, man, just to literally get the person to register. What is exactly the, the exercise? What muscles are we trying to train and to imagine these things? Because then it becomes one fun and it allows them to always remember how to perform particular exercise that they struggle with. Yeah. And he'll, he'll never forget that. What, uh, what comes to mind when you describe that is, um, I think his name's Oliver Twist. The please, sir, I want some more. Yeah, where he's holding the bowl. So yeah, you're trying to you know get some more chest. But um, for the and I, I, I took some I took some pre workout last week and did some uh, some chest flies with a band for you know just don't don't judge my life choices. I almost never take pre workout. This one hit me hard. I was doing some chest flies and for some reason SWAT the fly came into my brain. And swat like swat the fly, there's a fly in front of you. So I'm trying to swat it with my hands. Oh, okay. And for some reason that just like stuck with me. And I've been saying that to my clients and it gets them to laugh. And I feel like that's kind of like the, the connection being made in their brain where they'll, they'll never forget to swat the fly when they're doing a chest fly. Um, hug the barrel is like the best one 
that I've ever come up with. Sometimes I'll make the joke that you're a tree hugging hippie and you're going to go hug the tree. Mm. Um, it's basically achieving the same thing. Um, yeah. Cause it puts up the, the elbows in the right position, right? It puts the, the, it kind of makes you, um, really emphasize the squeeze component of that, which is, that's where we know we're getting tons of value. Um, yeah, man, that's it's it's those are those are the ones that come to mind with those. I guess for far as a pressing motion, when it comes to um, when it comes to just standard pressing, this can go. For, I mean, I think we can both agree that maybe teaching an incline is typically easier to maybe uh, get someone to understand these cues that we're going to talk about. But the same thing will apply to a flat press. Um, it's a lot of people. Ironically enough, you would think with all the rounding and stuff, you wouldn't lay flat on a bench. Like, but the, you, that's what people do. Usually they'll actually try to lay as flat as they can, especially on an incline. And one thing I always tell them is I want you to arch your back, have a nice natural arch. You don't have to like excessively like hyperextend your back and stuff. You just want to, you know, create a nice little arch. And I always tell them, I want you to imagine like I can fit my whole hand through your low back like i want to be able to be able to put my hand in there um and that's usually get, it creates enough enough distance obviously like i tell them does it shouldn't hurt you in this position but think that think like you you can fit your fist between that space between you and the pad and that's usually going to create a nice natural position where what happens their chest will come up their shoulders will naturally be able to get into a position where they're bringing their shoulders back because like we always talk about a lot of us everyone all of us if we're not mindful we all struggle with that some type of forward shoulder it's just the way our society is built the way we live our day to day so you want to put in a position where you're arching you're puffing out your chest nice and tall like you're reaching for the ceiling and bring your shoulders back and also down so you're not bringing them back and and bringing your your shrugging at that really like you look very tense you want to think chest high shoulders back and down and you can even think down towards my pockets like i'm trying to bring my shoulders down to my pockets or something and what i noticed there is that the person gets into a much better position where they don't feel their shoulders as much they're actually able to get into a position where they can feel their chest. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, I've noticed that one. I think we had a t- couple weeks ago or months ago by now, time's kind of flying by. We did an episode about um, where we were talking about doing incline first. And I started doing that based off that episode. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I don't know why I didn't do this the whole way, but now I'm that's the first thing we do every single time, usually dumbbells, um, dumbbell incline bench. But another one that I like, at least as far as once we get you in the right position, if you're still not feeling it, um, a good cue as you are pressing the dumbbell up, I usually say press it up towards the ceiling. Uh, some people try to press it out as, as if they're doing like a flat bench on an incline, but we want to go straight up against gravity. Um, and then as you're getting up towards that top, keeping your shoulders in that nice proud position, try and squeeze your biceps together in front of you. Mm-hmm. Obviously you're not going to be able to do that, but that should get you to elicit that squeeze tension in your chest and get that tension going. Um, and then on the way back down, try to still hold on to that tension if you can. So it's almost like you're, you're squeezing a stretched muscle as the, as the um, arms come back and behind you. Um, and that one works pretty well for me. And I also like just as a general, like, 
we'll call it an awakening movement, um, the plate press, just because you can just squeeze the shit out of a plate and then do like a bench press or an incline bench press, but only holding on to a single like 10 pound plate and just squeezing the paint off of it as you press it up and then bring it back down. That one usually works pretty well for like an activating type movement. Absolutely. I think that one's a good one. I like the squeezing, you know, uh, trying to touch your elbows. Um, I think we've done that together as well a couple of times. And I know that's helped a lot of clients that really struggle with chest. Um, you know, this, it's all about creating these, like these patterns. It's a, a lot of things with weight training is more so a, a neurological connection, the way your body uh, registers a particular movement. So it's a skill at the end of the day. Right. So just got to find ways that it makes it work. I think like other subtle ones, like these are pretty much quick to knock out is a bicep curl. Um, uh, I think that for most people, because we're talking about gen pop, we're talking about everyday people. Um, obviously we can argue with biomechanics and, and this is the position that's optimal, but when we're trying to get a point across, you know, a, a bicep curl, for example, is one that everyone will do at one point or another, but what happens is that becomes a lot of shoulder and a lot of cheating and a lot of momentum, um, there is a place and time to move your elbow forward as you're curling and squeezing at the top. Yes. The problem is that most people ego lift. So one way to kind of minimize that is almost imagine like your elbows are too pinned to your side and you have a little screw that's kind of going through both elbows and it kind of keeps them in a nice fixed position. You keep your chest nice and tall shoulders back and down, and you're going to be able to flex the arm without moving the elbow back and forth um, until you get the nice consistent position with good tempo and with a good weight that's appropriate. Um, that's something that I always do as a, as, as kind of a learning thing as, as something from the beginning. I like that one a lot. And I think the same thing for, for like a, like a standing tricep extension, you could use the same cue. It's the, it's the same thing. You want to control your elbows. You're just you're doing the exact opposite. You're pressing down instead of curling up. Um, I also like imagining that we have super glue in our armpits and it's kind of got our arms stuck in this position where they're just hanging down by our ribs um, or just keep your elbows next to your ribs. Like you're like, you're squeezing your rib cage. Um, that usually gets the job done as well, because if your arms come forward, you can no longer squeeze your rib cage, but um, for dumbbell lateral raises actually i wanted to bring this one up i've been messing around with this one um because that one bro i think that's probably the most challenging like basic movement to teach for me getting somebody to do a lateral raise like the right way so they're not just like flapping their arms like a bird um, and lately what's been working is actually like if you start off holding dumbbells at your side and you point your elbows out um, and do the movement leading with your pinky. So basically you'd have a neutral grip throughout the whole entire thing. And when you raise your arm up and out to the side, your elbows pointing up and your pinkies are over your index fingers. Mm -hmm. That tense, that seems to be like the money shot for me lately. Um, mm -hmm. Cause like that one, I, bro, I've just been struggling with it so much. Um, Cause it is, it's like, you can, make it really, really easy on yourself, or you can, you know, really get into the nuances of like the rotation of the humerus and what you're doing with your hands and 
it get really really I'm complex. Doing it with my hands. Yeah, exactly. It get really <laughs> complex for such a simple movement. I'm just raising a dumbbell out to my side. Like, why are you overcomplicating this, Mike? Yeah, you know. So I think that one thing that comes to mind with that um, cue that I've always used, and because natural, what happens with a lateral raise um, is that when you raise the dumbbell to the side, like your obviously your hand goes past your shoulders past the elbow it's like at the highest point which you don't want that right that turns like typically your index finger will rotate the opposite of what you're saying and your index finger will be kind of facing towards the ceiling and you'll get a lot of that front shoulder tension and maybe start people i had a client that was complaining about a little bit of pain in their shoulder the front delt in their bicep insertion like where everything attaches right there so what we did is that i told them is once you're coming up you know you're to make it very clear on what I'm trying. Cause I know what I'm trying to tell them. I can tell them, rotate your hand, like lift with the pinky, uh, rotate your elbow, whatever I could use, like a very like straightforward point, but to get them to really think about this and clients will actually make uh, fun of it. Or if I, for whatever reason, they don't feel like I'm doing it in a video, they'll call me out on it, which, which is cool. I love that because it means, it means that you're remembering what I'm telling you. I tell them simply at the top, pour the milk. And yep. just literally just to think that they're pouring a gallon of milk at the top and that what's going to happen, it gives us exactly what we're looking for is the rotation. Your pinky turns as if you're pouring a, a jug, try that next time. Like for a client or anyone here that's working out when you're doing a lateral raise, when you lift those dumbbells to your side, like, like you're flapping wings, um, try to keep everything. Don't let the hand, your palm past your elbow. I mean, uh, yeah, past your elbow and past your shoulder. It shouldn't go past a certain point. But when you do that, I want you to imagine at the very top that you're pouring a gallon of milk or you're pouring yourself a shot. I don't care. Whatever comes to mind, um, just pour it, rotate, be generous with it. Don't be skimpy, really rotate. And you'll feel that side of that shoulder, um, you know, really light up. But yeah, I always say that yeah. don't be, don't be holding out on me. I always tell a client when like, I notice that they're giving like you're that's it. That's all you're giving me. Come on, give me a little bit more pour a little bit more. And they're like, literally just like, they get that last bit of rotation. Mm -hmm in that. And they're like, Oh my God, it hurts. And I gave a client a three pound dumbbell and they felt insulted. And I'm like, trust me, like, give me, give me 15 of those with good controlled tempo. And, and they were struggling at 11, just like, it was like, Oh, grunting, you know, you know, just like in pain, um, nice and controlled reps. Cause those are little, little subtle things that, that works. It's just crazy how, you know, you tell this to someone and typically it just registers and yeah. it's really been helpful for me. What well, came to mind while you were listing off, uh, pouring out milk, pouring a shot, you can pour one out for the homies. There you go. That just clicked in my head. Uh, another yeah. one that comes to mind for that one is not shrugging up, shrugging your shoulders up while you're doing those. Try to keep your shoulders down because your traps will give you a little bit of, mo bit of momentum in that movement. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I seem, once you said that, I seem to remember, um, all of the, maybe my, my brain was like protecting me from those memories of all of the lateral raises that you had me do where you would like force my hands up and then make me go nice and slow on the way down. When I was like clearly out of ATP and my muscles were just crying. Um, yeah, I remember it all just came flooding back. I remember now <laughs> the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and like schedule an appointment with somebody and talk about it. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, man. It's 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 little things like that. I feel like we can go on and on about different cues. And I guess if the listeners enjoy stuff, if this is helpful for you and your in your in your fitness, working out and whatever, let us know. We can kind of go in more specific on specific body parts. Um created so it's it's a lot of take homes for you and maybe possibly make some videos hopefully we've been putting away a little bit the youtube stuff but definitely we want to kind of get you know a nice place where you can find all this good information um all in one hub you know so is there anything else that we you would like to add mr mike um yeah i did i forgot to mention this in the uh the very beginning i've actually been working really hard on this um I invented a word. What did you invent? Are you ready for this? I am. Plagiarism. Plagiarism. There you have it. There you go. But uh, happy Friday, everyone. <laughs> if you guys like this episode, you guys already know what to do. Um, let us know what you guys like. Anything you guys can help. We're always here to anything that you guys need help with. We're here to serve that kind of make no sense. It's Friday. I'm running out of caffeine. We're, we're ending this episode at the right time. So with that being said, until next week. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to go to leave us a five star rating and review that simply helps us get out in front of more people as well as follow us on Facebook at the next level show private forum. Check us out on Instagram as well at the next level show. My personal page is at John Alva Fitness. Gabe is at Prime and Glory. And Mike is at Mike Nellis P. Peace.